John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Ah, boy, that nightmare now is back in service again. Antonio Brown in the news. And, of course, uh, you wonder, it's like, um, how much of this is manufactured and how much of this is real? But, again, Pete Capero did confirm yesterday they are interested in Antonio Brown and have been interested. You know, Russell Wilson's interested, so we'll get into that. We've got a big trade with Unique and Dockway going to the Baltimore Ravens from the Minnesota Vikings. <clears throat> Lots of stuff going on on the Kovitz. I know Oakland had to send home all their offensive linemen after Trenton Brown got his uh, positive test. And so... The game's not in jeopardy right now. That's going against Tampa Bay. But let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. We have uh, we have endeavored to, to be in on everything that's going on. And John has done a marvelous job of always being tuned in to what's happening. And... Uh, and this is this is no exception, you know. So we'll see what happens, you know, as we go forward. But uh, we're 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 tuned into what's happening there. Well, according to Adam Schefter, uh, the Seahawks, as they, as Pete Carroll has confirmed, interested in Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown interested in it because of his relationship with Russell Wilson and the fact he needs a job uh, to come here to Seattle. And he also said that other teams are interested. But it's funny, the day that. Adam said that the day after that, you know, you figure Baltimore has been interested because Lamar Jackson is doing the same as Russell Wilson, kind of campaigning to get Antonio Brown. You know, Marquise Brown, you know, Hollywood is his cousin and he's on the Ravens. Well, guess what? Baltimore's not going to do it. They brought, uh, you know, uh, they got Des Bryant to come in. Des Bryant is going to at least be there to uh, go through the physicals and then possibly sign to the practice squad. So here's the thing that I'm wondering about. Seahawks has set up an interesting setup in a sense that now to get some good veteran players, they're getting them through the practice squad. You know, Damon Snacks Harrison signed on the practice squad. Demarius Randall signed on the practice squad. And, of course, now he's on the active roster. They signed him to that. Uh, You had uh, Michael Kendricks doing the same. Ray Ray Armstrong doing the same. So you have four veterans that wanted to be on the Seahawks, and the Seahawks wanted them to come through the practice squad. Would Antonio Brown be willing to do that, knowing that, uh, you know, he's complained about money for so much. He had to milk as many dollars as he could from both Baltimore and the Raiders and even the Pittsburgh Steelers. Would he be willing to do that to do it? Now, the suspension temporarily is expected to expire at week eight. But still, there's one more case that's being studied by the league involving his female trainer and some bad allegations there. So I don't know. I tend to think this is not a mess. This is not a mix. <clears throat> what I look at, and maybe I'm looking at it differently than the Seahawks are, sure, you want to get as much talent as you possibly can. <clears throat> and, of course, you want to protect yourself in case of injuries. Like, for example, this team is deep at linebacker, but now they have the extra linebacker, actually two now in Armstrong, Ray Ray and uh, you know Michael Kendricks. And so you can add you know <clears throat> a guy that's got Hall of Fame credentials, and but would he be willing to go there for their practice squad? Because you know, how's that going to be? If you have, uh, you know, Philip Dorsett, who hasn't done hardly anything because of his foot injury, you know, Philip Dorsett signing for the minimum, you know, Josh Gordon, who right now still isn't in the league because he's in the suspension list and you don't get optimistic feel as far as his ability to come off of that because it's now been so long, you know, he signed for the minimum too. Uh, and so would you have to pay more for Antonio Brown? Sure, the talent's there, but the headaches are bigger. So I'd say right now it's not a fit. But again, uh, they're at least talking about it. You know, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith campaigning with the idea of getting Antonio Brown in there. All I know, to me, it's a headache. 
And, of course, Paul Moyer will come in at 1030. We'll discuss if he feels the same headache and uh, on the thoughts of Antonio Brown. Number two. Um, well, they're on their own plans. Um, Jordan is at practice. Uh, we'll be at practice today. And uh, Jamal will hold out. Um, we need more information there. Uh, so, and, and each one of these are just one day at a time. See what happens, and then see what happens the next day. Uh, how guys, re- you know, return. So, uh, I, we won't really know anything till later in the week. Get updated on the injury list. Yesterday, Jamal Adams was expected to not practice. We'll see about today. They're going to be very cautious about that. Quentin Dunbar got the uh, veteran rest day, and of course, it's so important that he plays. And I would imagine he will be able to play because uh, DeAndre Hopkins plays on the left side, so he's going to be going up against uh, Dunbar a lot during this game, and he's one of the best receivers in football. Damian Lewis with an ankle injury, he's expected back. Brandon Shell has an illness. It's not COVID-related. It's just an illness, and you know one of the things that they're doing now for protocol is that if you even got the sniffles, you have to go home <clears throat> and not be able to come in. Limited practice, which is encouraging for Jordan Brooks with the knee, Will Disley kind of arresting on that Achilles, Dwayne Brown with the knee, Carlos Hyde with the shoulders, Mike Potty with a back and Vincent Mayol with a knee. You know, most look like they should all be able to go. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were limited just because of load management, trying to rest them up and get them ready because you, know, you saw how active they've been as far as the receiving group. Still don't know if Adams is going to play. We'll get a better gauge today if he practices. We'll talk to Michael Bumpus at 11 o'clock to help preview Sunday's game against the Arizona Cardinals. Number three. The set and the pitch. Did he go? They appeal down to first and he did. Chris Guccione says he went after that down and away slider. Castillo strikes out Taylor, and the Rays win game two by a score of 6-4 to four to even up the World Series at a win apiece. Well, Brandon Lowe, the second baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays, led off and had a great day offensively. Two home runs, three RBIs in Game 2. They jumped off to a 5-0 lead, the Rays did, and held off until late in the uh, game for the victory. Uh, Blake Snell was able to go four and two-thirds innings. He struck out nine. Both teams relied on their bullpen, particularly the Rays. That's their strategy. They like to not let their starters go more than five innings, and they go to the bullpen as early as possible. So, so far, not deep as far as that goes. But Thursday is a day off, so nothing happens today. The series resumed for Game 3. Three coming up on Friday night. It's all tied right now in the World Series, one game apiece. Number four. We know where the division's at. You know, we know it's it's wide open still, and we know we're, we didn't start, and we don't have the record that we were hoping for or counting on. But uh, we know that this is a divisional game, and divisional games always have a, a little bit more on the line. Not just because there's a little extra rivalry there, but because we know it's at stake, and we know the division is up for grabs for everybody. So we know what's what's riding on this one, and we're excited. For- So that's Carson Wentz, but he doesn't have much around him right now because uh, they have so many players that are hurt. They're starting uh, running back Miles Sanders isn't going to play. Zach Ertz is on the injured reserve list, four to six weeks of tight end with ankle injury. Dallas Garter is out again. He's still on the injured list. And they will have Deshaun Jackson. That's going to be a little encouraging, but they won't have Alshon Jeffrey. But it's just an absolute mess right now for Carson Wentz, who's been sacked, what, 25 times? He's got nine interceptions. He's got to try to turn it around in what's going to be a Thursday night football game. That's the NFC least. It's the Eagles with one win and one tie, four losses. It's the Giants with uh, one win and five losses, uh, a matchup that still may get good ratings, but it's not going to be a good game. Kickoff is scheduled for 520, and you can see it on Fox, the NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. Number five. 
Well, I think it's a good move for the Ravens. Uh, you can never have enough pass rushers in this league. It's a you know passer and pass rusher league. And when you look at what they have, Matthew Don's a pretty good pass rusher. But you need somebody else on the other side. And this is going to be good for Yannick Ngakwe. And the reason is he's going to stand up a lot more. I've always thought he was too small to play down end on a continual basis uh, because he doesn't play the run that well. He tries. He's an effort player. But he only weighs about 240 pounds, 235 pounds. And so he gets handled at the point of attack. Standing him up in their defense with their three down guys in most situations will help him a great deal, particularly when it comes to the run game. Well, of course, if you're wondering why the Seahawks couldn't trade for him, they don't have the third-round pick and they don't have the cap room to be able to fit Ndokwe's contract in there. But uh, the Ravens were able to pick him up this morning for a third-round pick in 2021, a fifth-round conditional pick in 2022, and it's a great deal for them. It also signals that the Vikings are checking out because they also at the same time announced that Daniil Hunter, their other defensive end, he's, he's been on injured reserve, he's going to have neck surgery, so his season is over. So after the one and five start, after the poor performance on defense, now they won't have their most talented defensive ends. You know, and Dockway, since going over to Minnesota, despite how bad the team is, does have five sacks and has got plenty of good pressure. So he's done a good job. But as Pete Prisco just said from CBS Sports, that uh, he is not that good stopping the run. And of course, uh, he will now be an outside linebacker with Matthew Juden. Both franchise players, both are unsigned at the end of the season, so that's kind of intriguing to see. But uh, right now you can see that the Ravens in the aggressive mode trying to at least stay ahead of Pittsburgh and make sure that they can catch up to Kansas City, who beat them earlier in the season. Uh, so they're they're in good shape. They were able to at least uh, get a visit right now from Des Bryant, and if he clears and passes the physical and passes the COVID test, they're going to sign him to the practice squad. And so at this stage, you can see that the Ravens addressing major needs that uh, they want, and they wanted to get better. I mean, and how about the idea that now – they have uh, Ndokwe and Calais Campbell, who is a defensive player of the week on in the NFC, uh, You know, two former Jaguars. And, of course, if you look at Jacksonville, they only have five sacks so far this year after giving up their two best pass rushers, and they got one of the worst defenses in football. Hey, listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about receivers. And I guess we'll probably have to mention, unfortunately, Antonio Brown. We'll talk about that and continue along here. It's the John Clayton show 710 ESPN Seattle under further review with John Clayton we'll review the play well out of the blue we have Antonio Brown to talk about unfortunately a guy that I think would be a mistake to sign now again maybe if it's a consideration if he's willing to go through the practice squad routine that now you're seeing a lot of players starting to do that haven't been able to get back in the league and get a job and so you saw that now happen with four new Seahawks one former Seahawk and Michael Kendricks and being able to come back and so the question is if you do something with Antonio Brown and if he does come in and you put him on the active roster how do you play him I mean this team right now as uh, is one of the budding best one-two combinations at wide receiver you know good you know the best one right now is considered to be in Tampa with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and if you look at it there's a similarity that uh, is there maybe more pronounced in Tampa but they are a, a two tight end team and you know they like to you know target their uh, 
top two receivers, you know, seven, eight, nine times a game. And what happens in regards to that? Because you know, if you're going to be a two tight end team, you're going to be running the ball more. You know, you don't get the ball as much to the tight ends as you want passing the ball. Uh, you, they were able to in the last couple of weeks get the ball to the tight ends a little bit, Rob Gronkowski. But that was because you know one of the two was injured, either Evans or Godwin, and so. And you can see it even in the last few weeks, you know, with the fact that, uh, you know, they went a little bit more three receiver, but, uh, you know, the ball hasn't gone to the tight ends as much as it did in the first couple weeks of the season. And so now if you bring in Antonio Brown, how many targets is he going to get? And so I know Brock Hewitt was on with Danny and Gallant and was talking about, can a team have too many good receivers? Is it possible for a quarterback to have too many wide receivers? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Is it possible to mess up a good thing? Yes. Like in 1999 when the Seahawks were 8-2 and two and John Kitna was, was rolling and Derek Mays and, and the rest of the guys were, were just having a fantastic year and, and just developing within the system. And, well, we got to have Joey Galloway back. Joey Galloway held out. He runs a 4-2. He's unbelievably fast, been productive, and then came back and, and threw a wrench in a lot of those plans. And I think we lost 5 of 6 and just barely snuck into the playoffs that my rookie season. So uh, I could understand possibly in the offseason why Russell gravitated to Antonio, why he worked out with him. Antonio Brown has a high work capacity and high work ethic when it comes to practicing the game of football when he wants to do it. It is, it's, it's very, very high. And I think that that is appealing to Russell. But, you know, the season has occurred. Five games have occurred. David Moore has never played better. Tyler Lockett is back to form. And DK Metcalf is becoming one of the elite receivers in this game and it is no nay never to antonio brown in my opinion way to go brock i can't can't emphasize that more i just don't uh, i just don't see antonio brown being the right fit for this team and being the right fit for many teams i mean you have a woman owner right now and some of the things that uh, antonio has done not good and again he's uh you know not criminally uh i mean you know had the one incident with the uh moving van person uh but that was a male and uh he always accepted the penalty for that and of course that went into a suspension but he still has one more case that's being investigated not by the police but by the national football league involving his woman trainer but let's put that aside just from the football standpoint i mean what you're looking at is what you've got uh you know dk Metcalf who's really coming on and then you have, uh, you know, Tyler Lockett is already established. And, you know, you've got, you know, pretty much six carry. You get, they get like about, you know, 13 catches a game. And they get probably about, what, 17 targets a game. Are you going to pass the ball more? Are you going to get away from the run? You know, what are you going to be able to do with Antonio Brown? And again, it pushes back what was be going on, you know, with David Moore. It pushes back the development of Swain. And, you know, at some point, you'd like to be able to get the speed out there with Philip Dorsett, and he's going to be available this week for the Arizona game. And so I just think it's a fit that just doesn't work. And, you know, it's a nice thought. Certainly, if there's an injury, you want to have somebody like an Antonio Brown there. But now the question is going to be, would he be willing to do do what now four new additions to the Seahawks practice squad has been able to do. Come in here, accept minimum salary, accept the ability to play a 12000 a week in the practice squad, just waiting your chance to get in shape, get to learn things and all those things, and, of course, uh, do it that way. I don't think he's willing to do that, but we don't know. I mean, he's probably in a desperate situation. But I just think that that would be too many wide receivers, particularly for a team 
that has so many good tight ends. Sure, if he comes in on the practice squad, then you know you start to really think maybe it's not a bad idea. But you know, as uh, Adam Schefter reported, is that uh, you know there's several other teams interested. But I thought it was funny that once that came out, and you figure Baltimore because of Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown uh, pushing to get Antonio there, uh, that would be an option. Well, guess what? They they opted to bring in. Uh, Des Bryant and not necessarily Antonio Brown. And if they get Bryant cleared and signed to the practice squad, that kills that chance in Baltimore. I mean, and what other team? You know, three teams are going to be out of the mix, and that's three teams that's had them. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Las Vegas Raiders, and also the New England Patriots. So that's out. And so now, where does he really fit in? And that's, I think, a very big question right now. And, you know, again, I just think from the Seattle standpoint, because all I know is that, sure, you mentioned Antonio Brown, and all of a sudden, interest goes one way or another. It's a very talked-about subject. But I think this, as Brock Hewitt said, bad fit. Curtis Rogers, where do you chime in? I think it's a bad fit as well. And I think there is a thing as too many good receivers. It reminds me, John, of in the NBA when teams load up with talent and you know they have a starting five of all All-Stars. I'm reminded, I think the Golden State Warriors just a couple of years ago when they signed DeMarcus Cousins to be their center in addition to having Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, everybody thought, oh, these guys are going to waltz to an NBA title. And that wasn't the case in the final season. Everybody got hurt and they, they lost in the NBA. NBA Finals, but you saw guys who were used to getting the lion's share of of you know of possessions, not having to or you know not getting that, and it's the same in the in the NFL where you have an X number of throws per game. You're not going to be able to get you know every wide receiver ten receptions in a game. You're not going to be able to get every receiver twenty targets in a game. That's just not how it's going to work because there's simply not enough time in a game for that to happen. And when you bring in somebody like Antonio Brown, who has in the past complained uh, after games where he has gotten the majority of targets about his workload not being enough, that to me screams a red flag just from an on-field standpoint, just from a uh, ability to mesh with the other receivers and to be a team player. That to me would be reason enough to, to scratch my head in this, in addition to the you know, chapters long rap sheet that he has built up over the last year plus. It is not a good move if the Seahawks bring in Antonio Brown, and I think it could be destructive. And oh, by the way, like you mentioned, John, Philip Dorsett is nearing a return. He is a quality receiver in the NFL. He is somebody that can get you deep, you know, deep yards in a game. Josh Gordon, we don't quite know what he's going to be uh, when he returns or if he returns, but there's the possibility that he could return as well. Those are two quality receivers in the NFL that are on the verge of a return with the Seahawks. You bring in Antonio Brown. You've got Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. To me, John, just by the simple math of it, there is not enough to go around for all those guys. No, and then think about this. I mean, because I think all of us uh, like John Ursua, right? And he's on the practice squad, and he's on the practice squad because you know, Freddie Swain is on the main roster. And what uh, and Ursua, I think, is a very good slot guy. Well, you know, I mean, Antonio Brown now at this stage, as good as he is, is more of a slot guy. And that's Tyler Lockett's position. So you're going to take plays away from Tyler Lockett and bury uh, Ursua because, you know, Ursua then would have to start to look and say, hey, you know, some of those teams are willing to sign me as an undrafted player back in 2019. I better go to one of those teams right now if they're going to bring in Antonio Brown and push me back another step. So I think that you do that. And then also the timing. 
because you know timing is so important because here this team right now has got the five most important games coming up because they have four division games, two against Arizona, one against the Rams, and one against the 49ers, and a tough road trip to Buffalo. Okay, so now if you bring in Antonio Brown for week eight, and you know if you do and put him on the practice squad, he's probably not going to be available for till week 10. And if that's going to be the case, he's going to be at the back end of that tough part of the schedule. And once you start to get past the second Arizona game, then things get easier in a sense they take on, start getting the, the five or the four of the remaining games after Buffalo, like teams that aren't that good you know the uh, Jets the Giants the Washington football team you know teams like that that they can beat Philadelphia right now and if that's going to be the case you're going to probably be running the ball more well that's going to be less pass attempts because against you don't want to overdo it against the bad football teams so I just think that you know everybody said and that's why it kept irritating me the more we kept hearing it is that Antonio Brown is a November story now we see with the eight-game suspension not being available to after week eight, he is a November story. But, of course, it's a story that should close here in Seattle. Again, keep talking. Always keep options open, but don't do it. Hey, and, of course, uh, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll see what Paul Moyer chimes in on this one. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Word coming down now that uh, no fans will be allowed in the stands for the November 1st game against the San Francisco 49ers. I guess no surprise there. I mean, you got more teams that are getting, you know, fans in the stands, you know, whether it's 2,000, 16,000, Dallas maybe 20,000, but as of right now, uh, still not open for fans in the stands, and it looks like no fans in the stands in San Francisco for the 49ers for San Jose, even though they've opened things up a little bit in the state, but they're basically saying nothing in San Jose. And joining us is Paul Moyer, and so Paul, I guess the big topic, which of course is ad nauseum for me, is Antonio Brown. Uh, Antonio Brown, of course, uh, you know, getting the word out to add Adam Schefter that, uh, hey, uh, I'm, I'm available and I'm, I want want to go to Seattle. I want to go here, want to go there. What's your thoughts on what the Seahawks should do with Antonio Brown? You know, John, I, uh, by the way, thanks for having me on. Um, usually I'm one of those that is very sensitive to the locker room. And when you bring people in, you know, how does that disrupt things? I, I, I think in this case, and, and you know, I'm going to exclude. I think you almost have to have parameters here. And that one is the Seahawks are doing their due diligence. If they decide that they want to bring him in, they, they feel comfortable with him in, on whatever capacity. So it's all right. Do, now, now that with that history, do we bring him in? And I, I think because Russell knows him, worked out with him, feels comfortable with him, knows potentially what could come to that locker room. Um, I also think the way you could structure a contract with him, it would be somewhat risk-free. I, I say go for it. Uh, life's too short right now, and we got a really good football team. You can't have enough good football players. Um, I say do it. Now, do I think they're going to do it? That's a whole other question. But if given the opportunity, uh, he, he's just too good a football player for me to pass up for a team that you know, has Super Bowl aspirations. 
But here's here's the thing that and and again, being sensitive to the locker room as am I, because I think that uh, having been around locker rooms as long as I have, I mean, and you saw the situation when this team was in 2013, you know, went to the Super Bowl, you know, they make eventually they make that trade for Percy Harvin, and of course that did not rumble well with the wide receivers because I mean you had Golden Tate and a bunch of really talented undrafted guys, and they were making they're still on their rookie contracts, and here comes Percy Harvin in on the trade and he gets 11 million dollars a year and that didn't go over too well and of course yeah. how, he, how did he integrate in the locker room i mean here on the eve of the super bowl he gets to body slam golden tate uh and all that and then of course the next year he ends his dallas uh, he had the game against dallas and he wouldn't even go on the field because he didn't like the play call at the end of the dallas game and so i just think that uh, you have to be wary of that and that's where i think antonio brown could be a problem yeah, I, I and I get that, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, when you think about that, I go, well, it was disruptive. They did win a Super Bowl. I, I, th- I think the situation's different. It, one is, he's not going to be the guy. He's not going to come in with the highest contract. Um, again, the, the commitment the Seahawks had to to Percy. It, it, between him and Golden Tate, they were going to pick Percy Harvin in that situation. So all the cards were stacked in the favor for Percy to be disruptive and the Seahawks really having their hands tied on that. With this one, again, I think from a locker room standpoint and the contract, I, I think they can make that work. It's really the other issues. Are you comfortable bringing him in with all of his off-the-field stuff? Um, and that is, again, I think if the Seahawks do bring him in, they've done enough of their due diligence that we're going to have to trust that portion. And uh, you look, if it's for half a season, I, if he's disruptive after two weeks, you let him go. I mean, it's, it's not you, you don't have a lot vested into it. And I know right now I'm contrarian on this. And normally I'm the first one to say, nah, that's not worth it. In this case, I don't know, man. Forty points a game wouldn't be a bad bad thing to watch every week. But here's the thing that, uh, and again, this is an, another sensitive to the locker room situation. Okay, uh, what do you pay him, and how do you bring him in? Now, like for example, I think you're seeing a pattern develop now because we're almost halfway through the season, and players who haven't gotten jobs are willing to go on the practice squad. Seahawks just did it in the last couple of weeks four different times, and you you can see it's like okay, whether it's Damon Snacks Harrison, Demarius Randall, who's now on the active roster after being on the practice squad, Michael Tom, Michael Kendricks, and uh, Ray Ray Armstrong, that uh, they all accepted the idea. It's like okay, we'll take. The $12,000 a week until we show we're ready, and then we'll go on the active roster if you wish that to happen. Okay? You also have, now again, we don't know about Josh Gordon, but it certainly doesn't sound good that we haven't heard anything from the league this late, and you know he signed for the minimum. Philip Dorsett signed for the minimum. And so now, even if you give you know, plus money to Antonio Brown. I mean, don't you think under this pattern, if he's willing to sign to the practice squad, yeah, then it's, I think, a consideration. But if he's going to come in here and want $1 or $2 million and eat up a good portion of your remaining cap, it's not going to work. Well, yeah, I, if it's about money to A.B., you know, somebody's willing to, to, to pay him whatever the number is. I mean, he's not going to get, I, I would guess, John, you know this better than I do yeah. on the salary cap stuff. He's not going to get, you know, five, six million bucks a year. I mean, it's going to be prove it type of money. And the one thing is, hey, you got a half a season. You, you're in a prove it mode anyways for somebody to take a risk on you long term. So you come in and say, play for minimum wage. Obviously, you could have some incentive pieces to that. Um, 
I think it could work. It, it, it's really going to come down to AB if if the Seahawks are comfortable with the off the field stuff. Again, I'm I'm tabling that discussion because we could get we could go round and round on that that portion. But if they're comfortable with that from a contract standpoint, I think AB looks at this and says, "I'm playing with Russell. I've got a really good offense around me. I got a chance to go to a Super Bowl and prove myself and, and get a contract down the road." Um, I think it can work, but again, yeah. If if AB says, yeah, I'm, I want the highest bidder. The Seahawks are more than likely going to be out. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the other aspect of it is on you know the consideration side. You know, <clears throat> if you sign him, you figure you're not going to re-sign him to a long deal, anyways. It's only going to be a one-year deal, and if yeah. he ends up going someplace else, I mean, you will get a compensatory pick. Again, I think it's going to be you know more of a seventh-round compensatory pick than anything else. So you do get the ability to maybe get a little bit out of him without having to spend a draft choice. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not signing him to a long, long term no, contract. No, 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 no. Because now that's a whole nother ball game. Uh, you know, now you now he does have leverage on you. You you can't have it. Whatever you do with him, you have to have it where you've got the leverage. I mean, it's just bottom line. I mean, you have to be able to make sure that he can't hurt you on both ends. You know, both you know being disruptive and you've got a contract that you know makes it uh, difficult to get rid of him. So, I don't know. I like I, I say there's. How do you feel, and what do you think? And my my feeling is, ah, I don't really want him. You know, he could be disruptive. We've already got a good thing going. And then I think, oh wait a minute, this is a this is a business of winning, and you got a chance to get one of the great wide receivers of all time. You're on a you're on a Super Bowl run. You don't you know the, there's no fans in the stands right now, so you know there'd probably be some less disruption there with you know people being upset on them signing them. I, go for it. Uh, again, I, you don't get very many opportunities to win Super Bowls and, and get a talent like this. So, again, that's my contrarian. That's my, what I think, how I feel could be another conversation. Yeah, exactly. Okay, on the, <clears throat> on the more positive side, uh, what's your thoughts? Because, again, you know, not having a Wednesday practice doesn't mean as much. But what's your thoughts right now on Jamal Adams? You know, coming off the groin injury, it's now been three weeks. Uh, if he does some things today, do you think he plays on Sunday? I well, I hope so. I you know I know with that the, those growing injuries they're just tough. You know, and if you don't feel right, there's there, there's no set time for people. We all uh, heal differently. I I know this though. We need him, particularly the, the games coming up. These are running tough football teams, intricate running games. San Francisco, Arizona, the Rams, uh, all of these teams. You know this. A huge passing team. I'm saying that eh, set him out another week. Um, but we need to get Kenyon Drake. He's my bigger worry than even Kyler Murray in the passing game. Um, I, I think we need him. But uh, it's a long season. You're five and zero. They're not going to risk anything if he's not 100 percent ready to go. No, no question about it. Talk a little bit about uh, Jamal Adams and of course Buda Baker, who had just a sensational game. Yeah. The similarities in their game because of the fact that they're positionalist type of players, because that's the new trend that is in this league right now, and it involves the position that you used to play, strong safety. And you know how different is that if you have a guy like Adams who can blitz, who can play linebacker, who can play slot cornerback, who can play free safety, and you know make so many disruptive plays and do so many things. Same thing with Buda Baker. 
Yeah, first of all, Buddha, I, I didn't really get to coach him. He was, I think he was a freshman when I was coaching uh, at Bellevue High School, my son's senior year. Uh, but we knew he, he was a special talent. He just wasn't very big. Um, but, you know, he brought everything with it. You, you knew he was going to be something special down the road. And he's become more than I ever thought he would be, even when he was at University of Washington. His explosiveness, it, it's it's remarkable. Um, I mean, you know, in the tackling game, he he doesn't waste any steps. He can cover. He's starting to get finally some interceptions now. So now he's going to be even a bigger playmaker. Uh, fantastic player. Obviously, him and Jamal are a bit different just in size. You know, Jamal's, you know, 215, probably, you know, probably even closer to 220. You know, Buddha, uh, whatever they have him down. I mean, he's, he's not that big. Um, but they're similar in what they can do coming off the edge. I mean, you saw last week what Buddha did, you know, in the Blitz game as well. I mean, he came off the corner like, you know, a, a veteran defensive end. He was low to the ground, you know, came right into the quarterback. So uh, it, it allows John, though, in this day and age, you, you've got to have guys who are multifaceted in, in the game. you got to be able to cover a, a, a tight end, a slot back, drop back into the deep middle, play a deep half blitz and win at times you can't just be a guy that blitzes and and you know you're just a body no you you've got to win those battles and that's what's different between buddha and jamal adams from the rest of the league if they get in a one-on-one situation they can win that and that's that's rare the old days we would blitz and you just hoped you were free to get to the quarterback uh to to uh, the best safeties in the league going at it. That, that's going to be fun to watch. No doubt about it. So Hawks Live tonight. I'll be talking to you at 745. Yes, Give everybody all the details of Hawks Live. Don't just remember, do not. I think we're going to have uh, Will Disley on. Um, and we, you know, we, we talk about subjects and, you know, not just Seahawks. You know, we like to have uh, between uh, Michael Bumpus and I, and then we get you. And I always ask you the one special question. So don't blow it. Mm-hmm. for me and don't go down the path in your show today and that's the the one question john you've been wanting to talk about that no one seems to ask so you can't do it now you're saving it for our show tonight okay i'll do that i'm just i'm plugging that and it's been actually the best segment because you give us something that really no one's been talking about that uh yeah because usually people are always asking you where to you know to lead you on a question and you know i like to say you you take it in any direction you want so so that's what we, we get with you, John, that and everything else that you you bring to the table. Okay, so that'll be Hawks Live coming up tonight. Paul Moyer, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, and be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we'll catch you up on the National Football League going behind the lines. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, of course, uh, news out of the area here is that uh, the King County is determined, that, <clears throat> so is the state, that uh, no fans in the stands for the November 1st game against the San Francisco 49ers. They're t- kind of taking on a game-by-game basis. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes for the next home game, which will be, you know, a couple weeks down the line. It'll be against Arizona because they have road games after San Francisco uh, at Buffalo and at the Los Angeles Rams. And so uh, we'll see if anything does open up. Uh, and, of course, uh, the big news in the National Football League today and we're starting to see teams starting to check out, I guess you could say. You know, Unique and Dockway, who, of course, was an interesting trade because I thought when, you know, the uh, Rick Spielman, the general manager, traded for Unique and Dockway, it's like, hmm, looks like now uh, they were going to be able to survive what was going to be a tough off season of giving up, you know, 
five, six key starters on defense, including the loss of Anthony Barr, their Pro Bowl middle uh, outside linebacker. And so now uh, with the one one and five start and the fact that uh, Baltimore has been interested for some time, they traded Unique and Dockway. Uh, to Baltimore. It's a third round pick next year and a conditional fifth round pick in 2022. And so that happened has also happened the same day. They find out that Daniil Hunter, their Pro Bowl defensive end on the other side, is now going to have season ending neck surgery. So now they're down pretty much everything. It shows that Baltimore is going for it. You know, they're also getting uh, Des Bryant signing him. We're trying to sign him to uh, the practice squad. And so now Baltimore gets that much better. And it's interesting. He, he goes to Baltimore because he grew up in the Baltimore area. I mean, he went to the, I think, University of Maryland. So he gets to go back home and is loving that and probably might be a better fit in that uh, defense, you know, because, uh, you know, he's a light guy, 240 some pounds. And so he's not that good against the run. And so now he'll, he'll go there and play outside linebacker. And that gives him two franchise players at the outside linebacker position and Matthew Juden and now unique and So that's an interesting trade. And it also kind of shows you that the Vikings, the jets and other teams are starting to check out of things and now starting to trade some of their parts. And so now we'll see if, you know, you get anything that, uh, you know, John Snyder might want to be interested in, you know, particularly at the pass rush to see where it goes. And so this is going to be a very active time. The trading deadlines, November 3rd, which is the election day. And so I don't know, Matthew, I mean, you know, that's a great combination right now. And Baltimore got that much better because in Dockway, five sacks in his first six games, a couple of pressures and forced fumbles and stuff like that. He's done a really good job. Yeah, and it's not just those two guys there either. Calais Campbell Mm -hmm. is also a tremendous pass rusher with Baltimore. John, the addition of Unique Ngakwe this morning by the Ravens, does that make their pass rush unit the best in the NFL with him, Judon, and Campbell? Mm, One of the best, yeah. I mean, because here's Campbell. He's coming off being defensive uh, player of the week in the NFC. You know, you certainly have to look at Green Bay with the two Smiths. I mean, that's a real good combination. Uh, You know, you go around the league and you can find other combinations. But, no, it makes it pretty talented because, you know, what they thought is that – and and they saw it just in the preseason and in the early part of the – first couple games or so that it's like okay they got Derek Wolf a former first round pick from the uh, Denver Broncos he was out there with Unique and Dockway and that was going to give them a better pass rush but Wolf you know he one week had uh, you know some questions about COVID's 19 and now he's been injured and hasn't been able to do much but it shows that uh, you know the Ravens are willing to gamble and think about this I mean you talk about good general managing Eric DaCosta has done such a great job I mean you know he made the trade with the Rams to get Marcus Peters and Peters has, I think, been the most active cornerback as far as getting interceptions, his hands on the ball, all those different things. You know, and he was able to, to go ahead and get Calais Campbell and now Unique and Dockway, and he didn't give up a first or second round pick. Just they were a, all third round picks and extras. Just a tremendous uh, way to maneuver about the trade market by Baltimore. And, and Peters has been a tremendous addition as well. Uh, last year we saw him. Uh, give Russell Wilson fits in that game when Baltimore won here in Seattle. 
John, on the other side of the trade, Minnesota off to such a, a terrible start this season. They're one and five. Uh, Ngakwe gets moved. Do you think this is the end of their trades, or could we see more pieces? No, get I think we're going to see more pieces. And see, what I was debating, and of course, we don't know. We've never been through a pandemic like this. Uh, we've never seen the league operate like this. And you know, uh, and particularly you know, if you make a trade, like for example, uh, you know, you you have a uh, you know. Can't you have the trade right now for Ndokwe? I mean, he's not going to be able to do anything until next week because he has to go through six days where he goes through uh, COVID's protocol. And once he passes the physical, then everything goes right. And so he's more of a week uh, eight guy than he is week seven. And so I thought maybe that's going to limit trades. But now you look at it, maybe not. And the thing that's so different is that there are more have-not teams than I've ever seen. Now, what I mean is have not. You've got 10 teams, including the Vikings, including the Jets, one win or no wins. Then you have two win teams that basically kind of propped up by their successes against uh, you know the winless or one 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 teams. And you've got three of those, and that includes the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you've got uh, you know a couple other teams right now sitting there. And so now the have-nots are starting to realize, oh, wait a second, we're serving a lot of victories to the haves. And so like Atlanta. They may not be as active in the trade market, but, you know, they fired, you know, their coach and their general manager, Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, because they realized once they got those losses, they weren't going to make the playoffs. And so now what you're looking at is that, okay, in the NFC East, it could be four, five, or six wins to win that division. But if that's going to be the case, what you're looking at, you may have an 11-win season in the NFC and not make the playoffs. And so you've got to get into an arms race as quick as possible. Yeah, we're going to see teams load up uh, as they as we get closer to the deadline here, especially with how bad the NFC East is. You're going to have to be really good to make the playoffs in other divisions mm-hmm. in the conference. And then finally, John, uh, a small move because he's been out of the league for, what, three seasons now. He hasn't played since 2017, but wide receiver Des Bryant, who once tried to return with the Saints but got hurt, is now making another comeback. Baltimore Ravens busy today, adding in Gakwe, and then also Des Bryant. Do you think he is able to contribute? I mean, he's, what, three years removed from playing. Yeah. What do you think he has left? Uh, I think he, I mean, he's not, because of the metatarsal injuries, he's lost speed and explosiveness and separation. But, you know, that may not necessarily be what you need with the uh, Baltimore Ravens offense, because again, you know, it's, it's a running offense. Uh, he's a big body, so he might be able to help blocking because they need, you know, if you're going to be a receiver on the Ravens, you've got to block. And so I think that's a, it's a good move because we'll see where he is. And you knew at some point he's going to settle. So I, I think this is a good fit. And I know I was on a Baltimore radio station today and uh, you know, at least they're luckier than us because it takes him out of the Antonio Brown conversation because you get, uh, you know, Brian on the team, they're not going to go for Antonio Brown, even though his cousin is there, uh, Hollywood Brown, and at uh, Lamar Jackson. So it's like, uh, I feel good for Baltimore right now because they don't have to talk Antonio Brown. Yeah, feeling jealous of him. Yeah, I know. I mean, I feel envious. It's like, so that uh, that works out really well. Hey, coming up next, what also works out very well, Michael Bumpus will be joining us. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.